The Shady Hoosier Detective Agency Ghost Busting Mystery Episode 33 Chapter 33 Dode fired up the tractor. He fastened a grappling hook over the ends of the threshold stone to drag it up out of the place. The stone had been ground deep into the clay. Once the hook bit into the limestone, Dode gunned the tractor. The stone slid easily up and out of place across the wet, greasy grass. Melvin was there, down on his haunches, watching the excavation. I'd called him to keep things on the up and up. Vini had wanted to keep the excavation on the down low, but that gold, if it was there, belonged to the U.S. Treasury, and I wasn't about to end up bunking alongside the likes of Darnell and Candy in the big house on grand larceny theft charges. Melvin was all dandied up in gray slacks and a gentleman's light blue sweater, per usual. He borrowed some duck boots from Dode so he didn't get his expensive tasseled loafers ruined in the muddy ground around this spring. We'd called Harry in, too, just because, well, he was the boss. He'd been slinking around like a spanked puppy since Candy had whipped his ass and took him for a ride. I figured if there were gold under that stone, it might cheer him up a bit. It might even put him in a good enough humor to sign our paychecks for the week. I had my eye on a new goose-down pillow over at the farmer's market. Thirty bucks cash, and it'd be mine. When the stone slid away, we were all disappointed not to see any shiny gold. Melvin duck-walked closer and held up his hand for us to wait a minute. He took a long, flathead screwdriver out of the utility tray on Dode's tractor and started poking it in the clay. It wasn't long before we heard a rattling sound. He'd hit metal. A couple of pokes later, and he had a rust-riddled tobacco tin pulled up onto the grass. In a way, Alta Iona really had been haunting the Wyatt homestead. Under the threshold stone, she had left not only the Confederate gold, but also a handwritten letter sealed in wax inside a metal red-engine tobacco tin. Melvin unfolded the letter, careful not to crumble it in his grip. The letter was a bit moldy, with a wormhole or two. He had to hold it up to the light from the barn poles to read it aloud to us. It was addressed to Dear Gentle People and talked about the Confederate gold. Alta Iona had meant for the gold to be used for her baby's care and upbringing. The letter outlined how heartbroken she was that Jedediah, whom she had loved, 
had taken her family's hard-won fortune and left her, the baby, and everyone else in the town destitute. The letter explained how she felt poorly during her pregnancy. Even worse after they took the baby away. Food ran through her. She was dizzy. She saw demons swinging in the apple orchard. She couldn't feed or care for the baby in even the simplest way. So she had, heartbroken, allowed her brother Jeb to place the girl child in an orphanage. The rest, she wrote, was up to the Lord God to make right someday. April, the coroner who'd also come out for the excavation, confirmed that Alta's symptoms were consistent with a slow death through arsenic poisoning. She shook her head, sad as we all were to hear the story. Jedediah probably added the poison to Alta's food in small quantities for a good while before she took deathly sick. His goal had likely been to make sure Alta didn't have the wits about her to see that she and the town were being robbed blind. Alta would have felt like she had the flu. Eventually grew so weak she couldn't hold anything down in her stomach. Would have hallucinated a good bit at the end. Poor woman. Apparently, Alta had been lucid long enough to find and hide the Confederate gold from Jedediah. If he ever did come back looking for his stolen fortune, it was safely hidden under the cellar stone. County records confirmed that originally the cellar had been on Jedediah's acreage. Alta must have commissioned the threshold stone because she loved that illustration in the family Bible. She was betting Jedediah, that old hound dog, would never open the Bible or pay much mind to any of the scriptures, keeping her message safe for more righteous eyes. It was a unique hiding place, a place not likely to ever be disturbed or dug through by accident. She couldn't have imagined how cellars and spring houses would come to be replaced with indoor ice chests. Over the decades, with no one to claim the Wyatt homestead, the Schneiders had adopted a liberal view of property boundaries. They started making use of the cellar and the apples as their own. After the press got wind of the gold, Darnell appeared on TV in his pigtails, sniffling, saying the letter was proof that he ought to be getting all the gold as his rightful inheritance. He opened an online account asking people to fund his legal fees. He and Candy had not gotten far in the Impala. They'd run out of gas on the Sparksville Iron Bridge and been picked up by the Washington County authorities. Because they both had extensive records, they looked to be headed for a long stint in the slammer. For a few days after the gold was found, press vans and reporters crawled like fire ants all over Knobby Waters. Harry squeezed himself into every photo. He bought a new hat and some cigars. He handed out his business cards like penny candy. Randy Aulis found himself on the TV talk shows, telling his family story time and again. He was happy as a squirrel with a nest of nuts to be the focus of so much attention. 
The money from the talk show appearances allowed him to upgrade to a new trailer and pickup truck. Some of Squeal Daddy's blog posts and insider photos went national. Harry didn't see why he ought to share the Confederate gold with anyone. The Shades Agency found that gold. I own the Shades Agency. Heck, I am the Shades Agency, he told the TV cameras. He puffed up a good bit when he said that. Melvin Beale disagreed. That gold is stolen federal property. It belongs to the U.S. Treasury. Of course, if you prefer, Harry, we could get a busload of lawyers down here and some nosy fellows from the IRS. The IRS? Harry clutched his lapels. Why would we need them? Ooh, they like to look into things like this. Sudden cash windfalls and all. Harry considered his options. I get a finder's fee, don't I? Melvin said that could be arranged. The town would get a share, too, since some of the money was tied to their being swindled. But a full settlement might take a bit. The Confederate gold was rumored to be worth more than $10 million all total. But since nothing like this had ever been found before, its full value was uncertain. Melvin also reminded Harry that the gold was not likely to be sold. It was a part of America's great Civil War history. It would likely end up in the Smithsonian or some other government museum on display so everybody could enjoy it. Sassy loved that she got to sashay around town on the arm of a good-looking federal agent all week. She cut out the pictures of her and Melvin that appeared in the news and pinned them to one of her wish boards. She kept what she called these vision boards. Her walls were covered with them. She said they portrayed her life the way it ought to be, not the common way she had been forced to live lately since her last husband went up the river for some harebrained real estate scheme. Unfortunately, Melvin was called back to D.C. when the case was closed. Sassy slid back to live in the common life with the rest of us old geezers in knobby waters. While Harry was busy grandstanding on the national news, Vini and I returned to work. We felt a whole lot richer than we'd ever been. Dode's $5,000 gift to us was a heap of money. We were dining like queens on an unlimited supply of free mystery meat sandwiches. And we had the Impala back. Dickie towed the Impala back to Nobby Waters from the Washington County impound down in Salem once we could prove it was ours and not involved in any interstate crime. As a special gift to Vini, he installed an eight-track tape player he got free at a local barn auction. The player came with a box of mint-condition eight-track tapes. Really good stuff, too. Dolly Parton, Johnny Cash, Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs, and The Eagles. Now Vini and I could crank tunes while tooling around town crime-busting. All of this just in time, too. Down in Hound Holler, on the other side of the knobs, 
trouble was boiling up. It involved Shap Reynolds and his combine of death, and more than one fella doing the dance with no pants with the wrong lady friend. The End Thank you.